I've decided to put my message series on hold this week to offer some pastoral perspective for this extraordinary time in our country. The election has revealed just how divided we are as a nation, almost right in half, at odds with one another in a way that is sad. On each side, there's a sense of righteous indignation, disbelief that people could think like that other side, scandalized that any reasonable person could be fooled into supporting that other candidate on both sides. These feelings are almost identical in quality and intensity. We distrust one another fundamentally. We attribute motives and values without testing our assumptions. We make judgments about people we have never interacted with. We are unkind and dismissive and mean and aggressive, rarely reflecting on our own behavior. And then we feel righteous as we feed our disdain for the other side. And then if there's anyone we know personally on that other side, we manage the tension by keeping our distance. We block, unfriend, avoid, steer the conversation away from the subject. We build walls. The whole situation has many of us feeling heartbroken. For our country, our coworkers and our neighbors, the folks at our church and our friends and family who don't see eye to eye with us. This is a really tough situation. This morning, I'm going to try to be a faithful pastor for each of you. A shepherd who does his best to guide us toward good pastors in God's word. There's a statement from Scripture that we are invited to take to heart a challenge for us right where we are, Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God wants us to know his will so that we can do what is good and acceptable and perfect, whichever side we're on. The world needs us to get this right, to quit being as petty and divisive and judgmental and mean-spirited as everyone else is, but instead to shine the light of Christ in the darkness. If we can take this word to heart, it will equip us for this work, which is just what God wants. Let's take time with this guidance. First, we are told what we should not do. Do not be conformed to this world. Our environment exerts enormous pressure on us molding and shaping who we become like the artist's hands on a lump of clay your world shapes you what you watch on television the news that you listen to your favorite podcast the commentator whose opinions you hear day after day the folks you follow on twitter and instagram here god is teaching us do not let this world determine the shape of you Stop absorbing that news anchor's angry and dismissive caricatures. 
Don't let his way of judging opponents in the worst possible light make you into the same kind of person. Resist the influence of her vitriol and dismissiveness. Do not be conformed to this world. Next, we learn what we should do. Be transformed. The Greek here is metamorpho, and the verb is passive, so this means allow your identity and your whole self to undergo a metamorphosis, a complete change in form and substance from who you were into the person that God will make you if only you will receive his grace, trust him, and let his hands shape you. Let God's mercy form who you are and who you become every day. The gospel is the power that makes a person completely new, that brings a total transformation. We are all sinners, but through Christ's obedience, God has undone the power of Adam's disobedience so that all who entrust themselves to Jesus are saved and made altogether new. Come to him with empty hands and a broken heart. Cry out to him and ask for his forgiveness and then trust him to make you altogether new. Do not go on letting the world shape you. Instead, receive the grace of God, which is for you right now, and be transformed transformed by his loving hands. That's what you need. That's what we need, all of us. That's what the world around us needs. One more phrase. This metamorphosis involves the renewing of our minds, discarding our old ways of thinking and replacing them with new thoughts expelling our old ideas, getting rid of them altogether, and then letting our minds be occupied by a new set of ideas instead so that our behaviors, our actions and attitudes, our inclinations shift and we become different kinds of people in the world. This is what we need. This is what the world needs right now, a community that refuses to conform to the world's way of dividing up and fighting, but instead is being transformed by the renewing of our minds according to God's truth. Now, I have three thoughts for where we are right now in this time of unprecedented division, thoughts that we need to take into our minds so that our thinking is renewed and our behaviors can follow. First thought, our true citizenship is in Jesus' kingdom. Every person who decides to place her faith in Jesus experiences a transformation that includes a transfer of citizenship. No longer is her allegiance primarily to the leadership of whichever land she lives in. Instead, her fealty is pledged to the true king, Jesus. Listen, our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Receiving the mercy of God means entrance into a new spiritual kingdom, which supersedes the importance of every earthly citizenship and results in obedience to Jesus as our true leader here and now, wherever we live. It is good to be engaged in the political process in America. Faithful disciples should do the best they can, pursuing righteousness and justice and compassion for others through our civic institutions, 
But we get it wrong when we hope for salvation from our political leaders. The ultimate hope of our nation is not tied to the outcome of our election. In the words of the psalmist, we do not put our trust in princes, in mortals, in whom there is no help, because we trust God. We expect to receive a savior from the kingdom of heaven to which we belong, not from any political party. No candidate will save us. When this thought is in our minds, we can be confident that no matter what's happening politically, leaders come and leaders go, but the Lord is the king forever. And that means a settled sense of security that remains unruffled, even if we're certain that the wrong guy is in the office. Happy are those whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, their God. Imagine if all the hours you spent hoping your candidate would prevail were directed at hoping to grow closer to God instead. Imagine if you cut the time you spent following politics in half and gave that time to learning about the will of the true King Jesus instead. Imagine if you were as enthusiastic about seeing others come to know him and trust him as you are about seeing people in our country support the political side that you align with. Listen again. Politics won't save us. When we set our ultimate hopes on our elected officials, we make a categorical mistake, a failure to remember where our true citizenship lies. And that's in the kingdom of Jesus and not the kingdom of America. Let this thought renew your mind and your way of facing this season of political turmoil. Now a second thought, especially important given how divided we are. Our real enemy is not on the other side. Everyone here is telling me the enemy is on the other side. The political divide is our battle line. We're convinced that we are right they are the enemies, but it's not true. When Christ transforms our thinking, we reject this outlook. With his eyes, our view of every person changes because of what God has done for the whole world. My political opponent may treat me like an enemy. He may behave wickedly toward me. He may believe all the wrong things and have all the wrong ideas for all the wrong reasons, but deep down... At the level of his true value as a person, he is not my enemy because when God gave himself for Christ, he did that for both of us. That act of divine grace establishes our true identity and it breaks down the walls that divide us. When we try to rebuild them, as the world is constantly telling us to, we are working against God. Do not be conformed to this world, God says. When we accept that Jesus is our king, then our thinking about our adversaries is transformed and we give up building walls. If the person on the other side goes on behaving as if he is my enemy, then I trust that something else is at work. Another enemy, external to him and to me, is involved. Spiritual powers that are against both of us, that's the real enemy. At work on both sides, convincing him and me to rebuild walls, take up arms, and get back to the fight. But we don't have to give in to this enemy. Our behaviors can change when our thinking is renewed, when we keep in mind who the real enemy is. Listen to Ephesians 6, 12. 
Our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Malevolent spiritual powers, which though disembodied are completely real, are constantly at work in the world, and they are the enemies of all people on all sides. Their goal is to destroy all life in you and in your opponents. And one of the most effective tools they employ is turning us against one another and convincing us that our enemy is on the other side. It's never true. That other person may have given himself over to this present darkness, to the spiritual forces of evil, but he is not that power himself. He is only the instrument who is currently being used and abused by our common enemy. By grace, God is the father of all of us, which means that we are siblings to one another. Remember, the enemy is not on the other side, but against both sides. Let God change your mind on this one too. Now a third thought. Our chief responsibility is love. We will think correcting others is what matters most. Showing them where they are wrong. Winning this fight. Getting them onto our side, ensuring that all of our plans materialize. No, none of this is our chief calling. Not if Jesus is our king. As long as he is our Lord, love is our chief responsibility. Let's try to picture what this looks like. Imagine your Thanksgiving get-together, the conversations, and the likely conflicts when you're thinking, how could anyone with a conscience or even a little wisdom stand on that side? This is where our chief responsibility is love, at that table. Listen to Colossians. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Let these five virtues be as visible in your behavior at that table as your clothing is, as plain to the people around you as the shirt that you chose to put on. This is your responsibility as a person who is beloved by God, chosen to bear his light out into the world. Like a star in the night sky, your manner should exhibit these characteristics. Compassion, suffering with those who are suffering rather than blaming them for their problems or using them as a prop to build yourself up. The one you disagree with at that table should see kindness, caring more for their needs than for making your point, wishing the best for them even if you don't share their values. And the kids who overhear your conversation should be struck by your humility, 
your belief that you may be wrong. The other person may know more than you. You have a teachable and open mind, a listening and learning posture. And then meekness. When viewpoints clash, you remain gentle instead of aggressive. It's safe to disagree with you because you're not on the attack. And if the first and second and third attempts break down, you exhibit patience. You'll wait for some time to pass and for the heat to die down, but you won't give up because you'll hang in there on account of your commitment to this relationship. Listen to verse 13. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Here's the principle which should govern our behavior at every step. Just as the Lord has, so you also must. How should I behave toward those on the other side? Just as the Lord has, so you also must. I should be gracious. How should I react when they become burdensome? Just as the Lord has, so I also must. I should bear with them. How should I respond to being wronged over and over again? Just as the Lord has, so I also must. I should forgive again and again like Jesus does. Whatever the challenge, we must respond to others just as the Lord has responded to us, which is with love. This is our chief responsibility. Listen to verse 14. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Here is how we will sing together, even though we are singing different notes. We will put on love above everything else. Because God has decided to be the one who put on love above everything else for us and for our enemies. And then God will blend our voices together and the harmony will be magical. The song we sing will bless us and every ear that hears it will be blessed beyond all imagining, beyond the greatest hopes that we can even hope. Listen again now with your heart open. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Jesus is your king. The other side is not your enemy. Love is our chief responsibility. Now let's join our hearts and ask for the help of the one who is ready to help. Let's pray. God, in the name of Jesus, our loving King, we give you great thanks for who you have decided to be, the God who is love, we thank you that when we had made ourselves into your enemies, you chose us to be your friends. 
And in Christ, you poured yourself out for this whole world to reconcile the world to yourself. And then you chose to entrust us with this message of reconciliation. God, would we take this word of yours deep into our hearts now so that we would be your ambassadors, embodying in the way that we carry ourselves the truth, which is the light which the world needs right now. God, please protect our nation. Please bring peace. Please bring healing. Please help us become people whose lives declare the good news of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bring peace which surpasses all understanding. Bind up our hearts and make us strong in our weakness through your strength. This we pray for in the name of Jesus. Amen.